turn. Has given or ever will give. 
But our Father gives to his people their good. Galatians 1.15 says that God sent the Apostle Paul aside from birth Apostles aside to sacrifice their lives, now not to atone for our sins or our justification, but to carry out God's intended purpose for his people. Paul suffered greatly as Second Corinthians, uh, and eventually he lost his life for the sake of the church, just as the other apostles did. God this, he brought this about and they We also need to recognize the power of God in verse 24. Paul, see, hated and abandoned the church. Galatians 1.13 says he not just persecuted, it says he violently persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. So the man who brought in suffering to God's people now is not only willing to suffer for those who God in the gospel. God's power changed Paul from hating the church to him sacrificially. And God did this because he is a God of grace and mercy. That's why we're all Paul deserved to be condemned for his persecution of God's people. The Lord Yahweh could have left him in his state of damnation, but instead he made Paul a son and an apostle. Now, for those of you here who may believe my sins are too horrible to be forgiven, let the Apostle Paul be the example. No matter how horrible or vile your sins may be, they are no matter for the love, the power, and the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, what you need to do is you bring your sins to God in repentance, and what he will do is a vessel of his glory and his love and his faith in his son. Alright, so, so we see Paul, who by the saving power of God rejoiced, not in the suffering of the Lord, in a masochist, but he rejoiced in the good that God was doing through him, which is unfortunately brought about his suffering. But for the Apostle Paul, he loved God's people so much that the that the suffering was worth it to him. Now, the end of this verse is going to be and I do it with the Now, I'm going to need a little bit of time to explain this. So, it seems, and I stress, it seems to communicate to the that Jesus was sacrificed and somehow lacking in accomplishing some of the Apostle Paul is filling up lacking or left undone. Now, we know this in no way is a reference to Jesus' work of salvation in his life God's law and his death on the cross to redeem his people. Now, how do we know this? We know this because Jesus was Romans 3.24 calls Jesus our propitiation. into your heart. It is a very important word. 
Your eternity depends on it. To propitiate means to satisfy Right, so God had justifiable wrath towards us. Why? Because we sinned against Him. So Jesus came to propitiate or appease that wrath, remove it. The Father's wrath was fully removed again or propitiated by Jesus' death on the cross. And so His resurrection was His receipt for our sins that said, made in full. Father's wrath had not been fully appeased, Jesus would still be in the grave. He is not. The Father proclaimed Jesus as full accomplishment of his work of salvation through his resurrection and death. So now that we know what the end of the verse does not mean, right, you still want to know what it does mean. Alright. Let's let's first establish that when suffer, it can be uh, considered the suffering of Jesus. The union between Jesus and his people, the church, is so entwined that the church is called the body of Christ. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In Acts 9.4, when Paul is confronted by the Jesus is up in heaven at the right hand of the majesty on high in his resurrected glory ruling and reigning. So how can Jesus be suffering persecution? Well, the world and the devil did not stop hating God after Jesus was resurrected and ascended back to the Father. In fact, I believe their hatred only grew knowing that they were now defeated forever and their time is now limited. And so they manifest their hatred to God by persecuting God's beloved people. To persecute the church is to persecute Christ because, again, we are his body. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34, however, those, those verses make it abundantly clear that whatever good is done to Christians is done to Jesus. And whatever evil is done to is done to Jesus himself. And so it is in this way there's still suffering, affliction. But the verse speaks of filling up what is lacking. Okay, what does that mean? I think we can get the call from Genesis 15, 16, some light on, on this statement. Now in Genesis 15, God comes to Abram in a vision, and he makes a But he uh, promises Abraham that he will give his currently into his descendants. Now, we all know Abraham's descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and then they're going to be brought back into the land. Now, in verse 16, though, it says that in the fourth generation, the people will be brought back because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet. Now at the time this statement is made, the Amorites represent all the heathen people that lived in the land of Canaan that the Israelites were eventually defeated uh, to the land. And so there was a point that God would no longer tolerate the sins of the heathen people that lived in 
the land of Canaan. So once uh, the cup of God's wrath against their sins was full, God would remove them from the land. Right? And so in the same sense, the world is still in the process of filling up God's cup of wrath that they fill up by persecuting the church. And there is going to be a point where Yahweh will say, Enough. He will no longer tolerate any more sin against him, <clears throat> excuse me, and his people. Now, ironically, when God would no longer tolerate the sin of the Amorites, what did he do? He had Joshua conquer them and bring Israel into the promise. <clears throat> Likewise, <clears throat> when God will no longer tolerate the world, Jesus, Joshua, that's his English name, will return to the earth and the world and bring his people into the new heavens and the new earth the true promise. And so Paul, I believe, is speaking of how his suffering for the sin of the church is his part in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, which has his part in filling up against the world. Now, in the following verses, we are told what the Apostle Paul was set apart by God to the church for. Now verse 25 tells us that Paul's apostleship, it was given to by God, not given by man, and it was for the sake of the church. Now it also tells us what Paul's responsibility was as an apostle for the church. This is the very core of Paul's ministry. Alright, so what was it? It was to numerically grow the church in Colossae. It was to make sure the church gained political affluence in society in order to enforce the culture. That's not what the text says either. Now, folks, don't be wrong. Those are not bad things. Those are not bad things. We want those things to happen. But what does the text actually say? What was the core of Paul's ministry? It said to make the word of God fully known. The results and effects are up to the Lord. This is where many churches in America have messed up. They have tried to control the production of fruit instead of just planting and watering seed and letting God, trusting God, not just letting Him, trusting God to do what He wills with it. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, it tells us that one plants, one waters, but it is God who causes the first cause. It is God who causes the growth spiritually and numerically both. Folks, God, God will not let himself down. He is not up in heaven with his fingers crossed. His word is going to be when it is proclaimed. Rightly set forth, God's word always, always accomplishes its God-given purpose. And so Paul's main responsibility in his stewardship from God was to make the Word of God and that has not changed for the past 2,000 years. Nothing else is more primary, more effective, or more beautiful, or more God-honoring. The Word of God created the universe, it upholds the universe, it has the power to condemn, it has the power to save. It is the only true source of hope for any man. 
in the flesh is the only way of salvation. It holds the only promises for the future. It is the source of the new heavens and the new earth. It tells man how to please God. The saints are sanctified by it. God reveals himself through it. It tells man who he is, what he is, why he is. It is the source of true wisdom, true joy, and true happiness. The Bible itself tells us it is our very life. Now if we believe that, if we believe that, double-edged sword here, we would read it a lot. It is the core ministry of every true church, making the Word of God fully known. This has fully not sufficient. There is a difference. Deuteronomy 29 teaches us this. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? So that we may do all the words of this law. So if it is in the Bible, God will for us to read it, seek to understand it, and then apply it. Now folks, obviously we more read the Bible than uh, others, right? But, but Now look, pastors who don't take a whole Bible approach to their teaching and preaching ministry fail in their shepherding responsibilities. And that is why we, what do we do? We preach the Word of God, we sing the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we preach the Word of God, and we partake of the Word of God. Now in verses 26 and 27, there's, there's three things that I want us to take. The first deals with the blessings and expectations of living under God's full revelation. Verse 26 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been And so further revelation has been given that gives greater clarity Not only is it novel or new, it is used to interpret previous revelation into the understanding of the whole counsel of God's word. And that is what is meant by mystery. It's not esoteric in nature. It's not something God gives us. Alright, as we move through the Bible from beginning to end, God reveals more and more of his plan of redemption and his ultimate purpose for creation. So as we itself tells us that this is a tremendous privilege. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 says that ultimately the prophets who God spoke through in the past, they searched diligently to understand the things that we now know. And so the Old Testament prophets were actually serving us, Scripture says, to whom the mystery has now been revealed, things that are so glorious that even the angels is given, much is required. All of this. And so increase increase All the Old Testament saints died in faith, believing a promise that they never saw. They up the mystery. Their faith was based on a shadow of the reality. They saw the blood of animal sacrifice, not the blood of the 
of the true Lamb of God. Now Hebrews 11 tells us that the Old Testament trust the Lord in a promise unfulfilled to the point of forsaking earthly wealth and submitting even to cruelty and death. Now we live under the mystery fully revealed, the reality instead of the shadow. And so in light of that, how can we trust and obey God any less living under the promise fulfilled? If the Old Testament saints lived a life of faith and obedience under the shadow, we have no reason not to do the same. Of all people in history, we should be steadfast in our faith and our hope. Now the next thing that we need to grasp from these verses is the necessity, the necessity of understanding the whole counsel of God's word. If we don't begin the beginning and the middle, okay, then the end is not going to make You walk in at the end of a movie and you see a girl. But if you had seen the beginning of the movie, and you had realized that understand the significance of the movie's ending. Verses 26 and 27 don't make any sense without the Old Testament because there is no mystery to be revealed in the first place apart from it. I believe this is what Paul means in verse 25 when he says he is to make the word of God fully known and then verse 26 that there is no mystery hidden. And so Paul sees his responsibility Revelation, the Old Testament, and the New Testament fit together. So what promise, what promise is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ apart from the New Testament? No, unfortunately, there are Christians and even pastors who will say that Jesus' resurrection as an isolated event in all such a powerful miracle all by itself that we don't need Old Testament prophecy and theology. The problem is Jesus himself would disagree. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is in prison and he's pretty he's doubting. So he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, Jesus responds by saying, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. All fulfillments of messianic prophecy are found in the book of Isaiah. And so Jesus expects John to recognize that he was the Messiah, not the miracles in and of themselves. But because they fulfilled Old Testament prophecy concerning the identity of the Messiah. And if that's not enough, in Luke 16.31, Jesus says that if a person does not believe Moses and the prophets of the Old Testament, the resurrection will not be risen. And so apart from the Old Testament, the, the resurrection of Jesus is an isolated miraculous event, yes, but it means that the Messianic 
Now this is just one example of why understanding the Old Testament is necessary to understand the New. And the negative thing would be that not the Old Now, in addition to understanding the Old, to understand the New, we will find out that understanding the New will give us greater understanding and clarity of the Old. Alright, now, I'm going to understand the Old Testament is apart from the New, but not fully. And so, both are put together, they open up the Alright, the early 4th century church father, Augustine, put it this way. He said, and many of y'all are familiar with this. He said, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Again, this is what is meant by the mystery, mystery revealed and explained. Now this leads me to our third point, which is the inevitable proclamation of Jesus Christ from the scripture. In verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, the mystery made known is how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the world in this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God is using the Apostle Paul to reveal the Lord's worldwide scope of salvation, not just to the Gentile people as well. This mystery that God has revealed culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Colossians 2.2 says Christ is the mystery. And so even though Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, he is the Savior of all people. Now look, if Jesus, God's Son, being, being the Savior of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth is an Old Testament, Old Testament mystery, now revealed in the New, then the Jewish and Gentile saints being united into one new man in Christ Now, obviously, we're speaking of mystery, so it may not have been fully understood, but it was never an ultimate plan for God to save a people for his people alike. And so, in light of this, Paul says in verse 28, Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim. And so, when the mystery is clarified through the preaching of the entire counsel of God's inevitable result is the proclamation of Jesus Christ in all his fullness as the divine Savior, priest, and king in all the scripture. Once Christ is revealed, we will legitimately, legitimately see him from the beginning of the book of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. Jesus is the means by which the triune God, which is will bring about God's ultimate goal for eternal glorified creation. And this is why Paul calls Jesus the hope of glory in verse 27. I want to read all of verse 28 uh, once again. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present mature in Christ. Paul summarizes his ministry the saints. Now he is warning and teaching everyone in all wisdom. 
we can easily attest, uh, attest the accuracy of this statement. Paul's with warnings and rich doctrine properly applied, which is what wisdom is. <clears throat> and then at the end of the verse, we are told what the ultimate goal of Paul's preaching ministry is. He says it is to present everyone mature in Christ. Now I don't want us to overlook the word present. The same He says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin for Christ. And this is the reason for our maturing in Jesus. The saints, the church, is the bride of Christ, and the goal of Paul's ministry of the word to the church is to return the saints to present them as a glorious bride. Okay, folks, what are we doing here every Sunday? We're here to worship the one God. And under the ministry of the Word, we are being transformed, we are being sanctified, we are being matured, so that we can be made pure as Christ is pure. This is the Apostle Paul's labor of love for both the Lord and his people. Paul says this much in verse 29. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so for this, the maturing of the saints, Paul toiled. For this, the maturing of the saints, the pastor toils. Pastors are given a stewardship of God, not to be apostles, but to carry out the ministry of the word to the saints. So you can see the mantle has been passed down from the top to the elders and pastors throughout history to prepare the church, the bride of Christ. Now, the rest of this verse should be a great encouragement to pastors who wrestle and struggle to bring the saints to maturity, which is every true pastor. Now, 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 look at this. Paul says that he has God working powerfully within him. Don't miss that word. Now, look, if you had the power of God, who is so powerful, nothing, not nothing, working within you mightily, you would think that everything would freeze. <laughs> but that's not what the text says. Text says that the man of God will toil and struggle with the strength of God powerfully residing in him to carry out his ministry. And so God's indwelling power does not render the ministry effortless. However, struggling and wrestling in the ministry does not mean that power was an apostle, and there is no doubt that he had God's favor regarding the Now, I think this concept can apply to all the saints as well. The fact that we should grow in Christ and the 
However, that also does not mean that God has removed His presence and power from our lives or His grace. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us because it's contrary to our normal experience in life. If I want to make cutting the grass easier, what do I do? I go out and the mower has got a bigger boat house than if I want to pull my house off quicker, what do I do? Bigger, more powerful AC powerful God indwells us to accomplish His will, not our own. Now there are reasons for this that we're not uh, going to get into detail right now, but what, what, I, what I do want us to grasp is this, that our experience is not what ultimately defines our reality. Alright, Paul acknowledged God powerfully working within him in his labor of love for the church, regardless of its struggle with constantly. And folks, look, we we should have the same attitude that the Apostle Paul. Right? Do not, do not allow, according to the scriptures, right? Do not allow your struggles to live a faithful life to the Lord discourage you. Cause you to doubt God's love or His power grace in your life. Your experience may say it's gone, but God tells us in His Word it's not. Now, with all of this in mind, what should our response be to this? We should willingly and joyfully subject ourselves to the of God's Word in hope in faith and in hope through our elder to attain to God's purpose for our life, which is maturity in Christ, which is our hope for <clears throat> Father, we, we ask that you would bless the ministry of the word of our pastor to our church. Father, we pray that you would encourage him and strengthen him uh, in his labor of love for you and for us. And we pray that you would cause us to joyfully, willingly uh, submit ourselves to, to your goodness through the word uh, that is preached and taught to us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus.